Hello and welcome to the Brain Care Podcast, a practical and impactful series of snappy episodes on how to optimize your mental health and performance so you can reach your full potential. My name is Dan Murray-Serta and I'm the co-founder at Heights. We make smart supplements and clever content with the world's leading experts to help you take care of your brain so it can take care of you. My guest today is Anya Hulbert, who is the Dean of Advancement and Professor of Visual Neuroscience at Newcastle University. Some of the highlights of her research are the interaction between colour, light, and how it is interpreted by our brains. So Anya, welcome to the Brain Care Podcast. We're excited to have you here and learn more about the functions of the brain and how it connects the colours and lights. So can you tell me a little bit more about how you got into visual neuroscience? Oh, thank you, Dan. Well, I've always been uh, fascinated by colour in particular as a child. Um, I've also been very keen on science and maths, and I did physics and maths as an undergraduate, but always intending to study the brain eventually. I went to medical school and simultaneously did a PhD in brain and cognitive sciences. And there I studied with uh, the great Tommy Poggio, who introduced me to the view of the brain that David Marr, famous English computational neuroscientist, uh, proposed. And to think of the brain as a computational machine that's trying to make sense of what the senses feed it from the outside world. And vision is really the most uh, important sense for humans. So I got round to studying vision uh, as a way to understanding the brain. And through that, got back to my uh, love of of colour. I'm particularly interested in this topic for two reasons. One is my dad actually had a visual disability called retinitis pigmentosa. So I'm sure you've heard of that. Um, So he was registered blind whilst I was growing up. And then the second one is I'm actually colorblind. So anything to do with the eyes and the brain is pretty fascinating to me for a whole bunch of reasons. Uh, I mean, let's start with colorblindness. Like, why am I not allowed to be a pilot? Color is very important important in many types of tasks. And in particular, I think the concern for pilots is that it's critical to be able to distinguish between the colors of indicator lights on the dashboard. Do you know what type of colorblindness you have? From memory, it's like, is it um, green-blue? Is that the one? My experience of it is just embarrassing myself in public. I, I was t- leading you on, really, because most people say when you ask them what type of color blindness, so-called, do you have, they will say red-green color blindness, um, because that's really the only type of color blindness that's typically talked about. Yeah. There's, there's actually mm. many different types of color blindness and also many degrees of severity. About 8% of men have some form of what we call color vision deficiency and about 1% of females. But there are gradations of that so-called color vision deficiency. And not just to be politically correct, but because I firmly believe this, I think it's wrong to call most different types of color vision, color vision deficiency. There are just different varieties of color vision. In humans, there are also different varieties of color vision in other animals. But the most common form of so-called red-green color blindness is one in which, like other people, you have three different light receptors in the eye that respond to different parts of the spectrum. But the sensitivities of two of those receptors, colloquially called the red and the green receptors, are very, very close to each other. 
So they um, give us very similar response to different lights, different colors that people with so-called normal trichromacy, normal color vision, see as um, more distinct. So it, it doesn't mean that you are blind to colors. You just see colors differently from others and perhaps find it a little more difficult to discriminate colors in that end of the spectrum where people use the terms green, yellow, orange, brown, red. Can you actually explain how people are visualising different colours and the science behind them? So I think a great example would be the now famous debate about a photo of a dress that took over the internet, right? Some people saw gold and white, others saw blue and black. I know that you did take part in that discussion a while back. This is probably very exciting for you at the time. I would imagine people really jumping on a topic that you're an expert in. Well, it, it was a hugely exciting time for vision scientists and it, it sort of catapulted the, whole, the, the importance of colour into the populace, uh, all because of this one photograph, which frankly, you know, no vision scientist, despite working for decades, you know, has been able to design such a brilliant stimulus. And the Gogglebox show famously said, you know, I lost friends over this dress because they violently disagreed, which shows just how important color is to people. You know, color, it's my personal possession. The colors I see are, are mine and I fully believe in them and I believe them to be telling me something absolutely critical about objects. So the thought that I can see something as black and you can see it as gold is very jarring to my view of the world and my faith in my own perceptions. But it also then drives him the fact that color, although it tells us something about objects out there and tells us something important, it is subjective, it is a construct. We don't see the spectrum of light that's reflected from objects. We sample that with the light receptors in our eye and then we process it through many layers up to um, cortex and then we interpret that signal as representing something about the object. And people's brains differ, so the way they process light signals also differ. So the colors they end up perceiving are different, depend on the individual, depend on the individual's personal history, on their the apparatus in, in their eye, and on the context in which they're viewing the stimulus. But we can also actually predict why some people saw it, the dress is black and blue, and some people saw it in white and gold. And that is because of this phenomenon called color constancy. When we see colors, we are seeing something fundamental to the object. We're assessing its material properties. But to do so, we have to factor out the effects of the illumination. So when you have an orange light shining on objects in the room, they will all reflect more orangish light back to the eye, like under tungsten light. There might be a sort of orange cast over the entire scene. But the brain filters that out in order to recover something about the constant properties of objects. It doesn't want to be misled by that orange. So it filters out that illumination to discern what it then perceives as object color. And what happened with the dress was that people who saw the dress as black and blue were effectively filtering out a yellowish light from the image. And the people who saw it as white and gold were filtering out a bluish light from the image. 
and that made sense because the actual dress in the actual shop was lit by bluish light and yellowish light simultaneously. So people's brains were just making a subconscious decision about which illumination to filter out in interpreting what the actual dress was, or I should say what the dress would have looked like under white light, because when the dress is shown under white light, everybody agrees on its color. It's only when the lighting is ambiguous that people disagree. Fascinating. Do you think that the perception of color can affect our mental health and overall well-being? Are there any arguments or any studies that people have done around that? There's a lot of work that's gone into understanding the people's preferences for colors and the effects of colors on emotions and also the effects of light and the color of light on people's well-being and health. So it's a fascinating area. And I mean, the short answer is yes. Both colors of objects and the colors you surround yourself with can influence your emotions. Colors elicit an emotional response. They reach very deep into the limbic system and elicit emotional responses, partly through their associations with the colors that they're most typically attached to. But also the spectrum of light and the intensity of light at different times of day can radically affect one's health and well-being. So the whole area of, I would say, the influence of color and light on health, well-being and emotion is a rich area that really a lot of fascinating research is happening in at the moment. What are your overall thoughts on um, on blue light? Like SAD lights, for example, you know, I've got one for myself and my wife, uh, 10,000 Lux SAD light. Are they actually useful? Are they actually doing anything? Very, very much so. Uh, we do know that uh, very bright light in the morning, the typical uh, sad light treatment does improve uh, the mood by providing an alerting signal to the system in the morning, with help, which helps to reset the circadian rhythm, mimicking what would occur naturally during exposure to daylight, mimicking that with artificial light. So it gives a sort of boost to the system in the morning. And then turning down the intensity of light in the evening is also important for allowing the natural sleepiness hormone melatonin to rise and to get prepared for a good night's sleep. That's been understood about uh, the overall intensity of light for some years, and sad lights were developed long before we understood what was really going on in the response to light in the eye. And so it was only about 20 years ago that these specialist cells in the eye were discovered that do respond to light, but they are not the classical red, green, blue receptors that we were talking about early with respect to color vision. They're a separate class of cells which respond intrinsically to light and feed directly into these so-called non-visual areas of the brain that set circadian rhythm and also influence a whole raft of brain functions which influence mood and uh, performance. And that's why there's been all the buzz about blue light because these specialist cells are most sensitive to short wavelength light, which colloquially we call blue light. Okay, it's good to know that I'm not wasting my money at the very least and that it's doing something valuable. 
to close out the episode, I would love to get what I found was super interesting piece of research, which is um, the work you're doing to get an early diagnosis of Alzheimer's and Parkinson's with the help of OCT scanning. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sounds fascinating. Yes, this is a really exciting area. Using the techniques of machine learning, uh, artificial intelligence, to detect really subtle patterns in the images at the back of the eye, the images of the retina, which are taken by ophthalmologists called OCT images, optical coherence tomography scans of the back of the eye. And this incredibly sophisticated technique, which actually images the only part of the brain that's visible to the outside of the world because the retina at the back of the eye is actually part of the brain. This incredibly sophisticated technique is now available in high street opticians. So you can go to a high street optician and ask for an OCT image of your eye. And the OCT images tell you a lot about different uh, potential disease processes in the eye like macular degeneration or your father's retinitis pigmentosa. But they can also reveal much more subtle changes in the uh, distribution of the different layers of the retina and the different thicknesses of them and the densities of cells in those layers. But these changes, which could be occurring at the start of a neurodegenerative disease like Parkinson's disease, are very, very subtle. And it's hard to see them with the human eye just looking at this pattern. So what we're doing in a project uh, funded by the NIHR is training up computer software to learn to recognize these patterns by feeding it lots and lots and lots of images of OCT scans of people's eyes from people who already have Parkinson's and people who don't have Parkinson's and training up the algorithm to recognize the difference between these and therefore to be able to predict the beginnings of neurodegenerative disease in people who get OCT scans. Amazing. And finally, what would be your top tip for listeners um, if you could leave like one nugget of insight that you hope they take away from the episode about uh, light and color in the brain? What would it be? Color has brought me so much happiness in my life, both on on a personal level, because I love color and I do respond emotionally to color, but also because I think it's one of the most fascinating routes into the study of the brain, because you go right from the molecular genetics of what's happening in the receptors in the eye, all the way up through perception to consciousness and cognition and memory. So I think if um, I could leave one nugget with the listeners, it's look at uh, color in, in a new way and think about it, what it does for you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brain Care Podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and follow us at Your Heights on Instagram and Twitter for daily doses of brain care. If you want to know more about how well you're feeding your brain, you can head to yourheights.com forward slash brain food to get your free score from one to 100 and start taking action from there. See you next week. Mm-hmm.